Good morning. We have a lot to talk about today. Oh my goodness. It is Matthew chapter 21, and this begins the passion. Um, the passion is typically, sometimes people refer to the passion as just from the Last Supper on and the suffering of Christ, because that's what passion means. Um, but it really, Holy Week was all a week of great intensity for Jesus. And it all began, it all begins in Matthew 21. So they're coming near, they've been traveling around. He's been going around preaching to all kinds of people, uh, healing all kinds of, of sickness and disease and stuff, and casting out demons. And they come to the Mount of Olives. And the cool thing about, I, I've never been there. I've just looked at maps and stuff. But the way that Jesus was coming in, you, you're you going, a rise in elevation, a rise in elevation, and then you come up onto the top of the Mount of Olives, and then there's this valley that goes down, and then back up, and there's Jerusalem. So you have this amazing, like, ah, view when you're, when you're going to Jerusalem in the direction that Jesus was coming from. And they're on the Mount of Olives, and he sends two disciples, and he says, go You'll go into the village, you'll find a donkey tied up and a colt with her. Untie them, bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say, the Lord needs them, and he'll send them at once. So they, they're being sent to get, and the Gospels, the different Gospels word it in a different way, but they're being sent to get a donkey and its foal that's never been ridden before. And um, so Matthew explains that this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went, did just as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt. They put on them their cloaks, cloaks and he sat on them. So, there are a couple times in scripture where um, a king rides on a donkey and there are always times of peace. And so for a king to be riding on a donkey would be a sign that he is a, we are in peacetime right now. I am arriving in peace and I am bringing peace. Now, if a king was riding on a horse, a horse is looked at as a war machine. Um, like a donkey is like a tractor. A donkey is like a, a, a pickup truck with dualies in the back. They can really tow and it can haul and it is a work vehicle. A horse is a tank. It's a, an Apache helicopter. I mean, the thing is a war machine. Okay. So if Jesus showed up on a horse, that would send a signal to everybody. The war is on. This is what when, um, when the Romans came in, when the Romans paraded around a city or conquered a city, they showed up on horses to show, we, we've got men, we've got an army, we have weapons, we will kill you. Jesus is showing up on a donkey. And that is what he is fulfilling. He is fulfilling this prophecy by doing that. Now, what's even better is that he's fulfilling this prophecy on a foal. So this is a donkey that's never been ridden. 
and it's never been tamed and it's never been broken to be taught to carry a person. We'll talk about that in a minute. So they come, the crowd comes. This is, this is now Jesus is going down this valley and then up into Jerusalem. And as he's going along this road, they're spreading their cloaks on the ground. Others are cutting branches from trees and putting them on the ground. These aren't like logs. These are like, um, you know, if you were waving, if you were waving like cattails or like palm branches, things that made a lot of noise like reeds, those kinds of things, they're laying them down on the ground. Part of what that's going to do is that's going to like roll out the red carpet. That's also going to make this path known as special. You know how when you go to a wedding, I don't know if they still do this, but it was a thing for a while where uh, before all the, all the people would come in, they would pull this big plastic runner thing down the middle aisle and then the bride and the groom would come in on this plastic clean. It was like, no one's ever walked here before. This is pure. This is what this is like. They're, they're saying this path, we're making it clean. We're making it pure. We're making it special. And so they're all throwing these things down, tree branches and leaves and things. The crowds that come before him follow him. So there's already people following him. Remember, we talked about that. This crowd of disciples listening to his teaching, getting healed. They're all coming. Jerusalem is packed because it's the day that you're supposed to pick out your lamb for Passover. And your Passover lamb had to be a year old. It had to be without blemish. And it had to be, um, you had to get enough for your family to eat all of it and not have leftovers. And if you had a small family, you'd go in with a couple families to split one. And if you had a really big family, you'd try to get a really big one or try to work it out somehow. So it's lamb pickout day. You're gonna pick out your lamb, you're gonna buy it. You're gonna make sure it's good. You're gonna take it home with you and you're gonna keep it at home for a week. And everybody's gonna get close to it and love it. And you're gonna be looking it over and inspecting it Make sure, oh, we got to take this thing back. This isn't a good one. Take it back. Go get a different one that doesn't have a blemish on it or whatever. So it's crowded. It's like, it's not like Black Friday, but it is like the being at Target the day before the first day of school. So it is crowded. And so all those crowds come out to meet Jesus as he is coming into Jerusalem. And they start shouting. This is verse 9. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And this is say, bring salvation. Like literally people say it means save now. Um, literally they weren't saying save us now. They're saying like make everything right. Fix everything. Bring it all. You know, have victory. We, we shout stuff like this at other times. We shout it at politicians. We shout it at sports games. Um, you know, make everything right. Go team kind of thing. They're all cheering for him. But they call him the son of David. And that implies lineage to the throne of David. And so they're implying that he's the king. 
he is a king. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest is we acknowledge this guy was sent by God. This is our God-given king. And save us in the biggest way you can. Save us in the biggest way possible. The whole city is stirred up. Everybody's asking, who is this person? And the crowds are saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So word has spread. He's been doing this for three years now. Everybody knows who he is. And now he's coming in like this. He's never come in like this before. This, this is big. This is big time. He comes all the way in. He goes all the way into the temple. And just, I mean, the crowd is cheering. It's like a parade. And now the king has entered. The, oh, we got to talk about the donkey. So there's one commentator I read, and I was like, wow, this is pretty awesome. Um, so there's a donkey, and there's the donkey's foal, the child, the cub, the foal. And um, it's never been ridden before. And here is Jesus, who commands ocean storms to stop that could, you know, command people to be risen from the dead in a crowd of people calmly and peacefully riding on a donkey that's never been ridden before. That's pretty cool. Don't, we, we can't overlook that. That the king is so peaceful, that Jesus is so peaceful that even a wild, crazy, never ridden before savage donkey um, submits to him and yields to him. There's, yeah, so there's this commentator that he, he was drawing the, the, the symbolism of this. I mean, it really happened, but it also symbolizes, here's the law, which is um, the donkey, the older donkey that's learned how to, you know, pull a bit and pull a plow and, and be under, uh, be domesticated. But then Christ is riding on this young, fresh free from the law, uh, just organically submitting to Christ creature. And that that's how the church was, that the, that the, the law came from Moses and, and just beat us down. And now Jesus took away the burden of the law. And now we can walk in freedom just with him. And we just submit to him and, and we're alive in him. We do it. So there's a little, little miracle happening there. So Jesus enters the temple. This is verse 12. He drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. So I wish we had like, we'd be outside, like mark this off or whatever. He had the temple. You had the Holy of Holies, you had the outer court, you had all these different sections where different types of people could go. The priests could go here, uh, Jewish men could go here, Jewish women and uh, Gentile believers together could go here. And then you had this outer court, and the outer court was for anybody, any, any tongue tribe, every tongue tribe and nation could come and worship God. And it was the biggest section of the temple because 
God wanted to make room for all nations to come to him and to worship him. And since it was so big, it was a convenient spot to just plop the market where they would sell the approved sheep. Um, you couldn't, when you give your money in your offering, you couldn't, I don't have a coin, I'd show you. You know, we have an inscription of George Washington on the quarter. So to an Orthodox Jewish person, that is an engraven image of an idol. And by using that image, I am, right? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God, what is God whose inscription is on it. So I can't pay the temple tax and I can't give my tithes and offering with Greek Roman money, with the ruler, Roman ruler on it, right? That would be just so evil. So they have money changers. And the money changers will take your Roman money and give you temple money that's approved to use at the temple. And anytime there's money changing going on, the only person that wins is the money changer. <laughs> so they would rip people off. Um, they, would, they would sell doves. You could bring any dove for an offering, but it had to be, you know, not blemished and not mangled or anything. And so people could bring in doves and the priest would say, nah, you, this isn't a good one. You need to, need to buy one that's already approved from him. And then people would have to sell that dove, buy this dove. So there's a ton of corruption going on in that space. But it was happening in the space where they're all supposed to be praying it, instead of outside. And so Jesus is mad that there's supposed to be prayer going on here. And instead, it's, it's like the cry room. It's like, um, it's like going to a church where there's a cry room and somebody's in there using it to talk on their cell phone during church and sell something to, to, make, to close the deal on selling a used car or something. You're like, dude, this is the cry room where we're still listening to church, but our babies might cry and you're in here on your cell phone selling cars. No. So that's where the den of robbers, it's not just that they're selling temple sacrifices. It's that they're ripping people off. And so he runs them all out. He kicks them all out, uh, clears the place. He doesn't get arrested for it. He doesn't get, nobody stops him. There's in the gospel of John, it says that he took the time to make a whip, to weave together a whip. So he went in there with some force. Remember, Jesus was a carpenter, which um, he's not going to be a lightweight. He's going to be a tough dude. And so here he is. And he's got this crowd of people with him. So you better cooperate. Yikes. All of that to say, I've heard people, um, you know, I've been at a church where they were selling t-shirts in the lobby as a fundraiser. And people said, we've turned this house of prayer into a den of robbers. And it's like, okay, it doesn't mean we can't sell stuff at church. Um, th this was really, really a messed up thing. This was actually in the place where people are supposed to be praying. They were getting ripped off. And they were getting ripped off for religious reasons. And so that, that just compounds it. So don't turn it into a law that uh, we, can't, we can't have a fundraiser book sale or whatever. Um, 
but it's, it's what's the point of this? The point of it was to be reaching out to all nations and to give them a place to pray to one and only true God. And instead they were worshiping mammon and money. The blind and the lame came into the temple and he healed them. This is one of the only places, there's just a few little places where Jesus actually heals people in the temple. When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and he heard, they heard the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. So first of all, they just lost all this revenue because all the money tables got dumped and the pigeons and the cows are all run out. They see him healing people and they can't heal anybody, but oh, he can heal people. And now all these kids are still, remember that whole path, that mob that's yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, they're still doing it. <laughs> They've been doing it this whole time. Hosanna to the son of David. So they say to Jesus, do you hear what these kids are saying? Jesus says, oh, did you? Do you, you, have you never read? Did you not read the Bible? I love it. Whenever Jesus answers like that, he is so smart, Alec. Like that is so, that was verse 16. Have you never read? Because they, these guys, their pride was, their pride and joy was the fact that they had the whole Bible memorized. Have you not ever read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise? So he doesn't even deny that what the kids are saying is wrong. Not only should we not silence them and their rejoicing in their prayer and their worship, but it's not wrong. It's what they're saying is actually right. That probably really made him mad. So then he leaves and he goes to Bethany, which is just a little suburb of Jerusalem. It's really close. And in the morning, he's coming back and it says he's hungry. And he sees a fig tree by the side of the road. He goes to it and he finds nothing on it but leaves. And he says, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withers at once and dies. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did this fig tree wither at once? Okay. So first of all, Jesus isn't just ticked off that there's no figs on here. Boom, kill the fig tree. It's not like that. He's doing this because all the disciples are watching. And everything he does is to teach them, to teach the... Remember, that's how rabbis taught. They walked around, people asked questions. They watched how the rabbis lived by their example, and that's how they learned about God. So Jesus sees this fig tree, and it's covered in leaves. And the way fig trees work is they put out their leaves and their fruit at the same time. And so if this thing was putting out leaves, then it would be putting out fruit too. And it didn't. And that's how you know when it's a good time to go get your figs is you watch and you see it budding and they're budding and little things are starting to grow. But when the leaves come out, you know the figs are ready. And so this is showing, hey, I'm fruitful, but not really. I'm really just... So it's not out of spite that Jesus strikes this fig tree. It is, this is exactly what he sees everywhere else. This is what he saw in the temple 
was everybody acting like they were fruitful and acting like they wanted to draw near to God, but they're really just robbing people of their money. Um, he, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they've, they've memorized the Bible for goodness sakes, but they refuse to see the son of David healing people right there in front of them. And so this is just, this is a warning to, to all of us and to everybody is it is it is better it would have been better for that tree if it wouldn't have even put out leaves um, and not look fruitful rather than to put out leaves to act like it's fruitful and to not be right so they asked the disciples asked how did you, how did this happen and Jesus answered them truly I say to you if you have faith and you do not doubt you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it'll happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. So Jesus turns it into a lesson on prayer and having faith when you pray and not wavering. Um, but it's also this whole, you're, you're showing off and, and you're not being fruitful. May you never bear fruit again. The cool thing about this is whenever Jesus cursed things, there is not a place where he cursed people. Um, he, he wept over Jerusalem. He cried. He said, you know, oh, you guys, you kill your prophets. Um, he says, woe to you, teachers of the law, you Pharisees. You get walked all over. But when he does a work of power, the only like, I'm going to destroy you work of power is against this fig tree. And when he cast the demon out of the, and cast the demon into those pigs, um, he did, so he doesn't do that to people. Pretty interesting. Maybe that would benefit us. If we didn't use our powers against people either. So he goes back into the temple the next day. Chief priests and elders come right up to him. By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? They want to know who his teacher is, who gave him this power. And just, I love Jesus. He's like, okay, I'm going to ask you a question. And if you tell me the answer, then I will tell you the answer to your question. I'll tell you by whose authority I do these things. The baptism of John. Where did it come from? Was John's baptism from God or from man? From heaven or from man? So they discuss it amongst themselves. And then they say, if we say from heaven, he'll say to us, why then didn't you believe him? But if we say it's for man, we're afraid of the crowd, for they all think that John was a prophet. So they answer Jesus, we don't know. Jesus says to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Well, when they said we don't know, they implicitly said we don't want to know. We don't want to decide. We don't want to make a decision. Because they didn't want to make a stand for what they believed to be true. They, they valued their position. They valued their wealth. They valued their authority. They valued their pride in themselves more than what they would get if they admitted that Jesus was the son of David. If they, if they would have admitted that Jesus was the Messiah and the son of God, how much would they have been transformed, right? Like Nicodemus, he's one of the Pharisees that believed it. And he, 
he was changed. They don't want to know. They say, we don't know. And the truth is, they don't want to admit it. They don't want to pick. So Jesus gives them a parable. What do you think? A man had two sons. He goes to the first son. He says, go and work in the vineyard today. And his son says, I will not. But then later he came and he changed his mind and he went and he worked in the vineyard. He went to the other son and said, come work in my vineyard. And his son said, I will do it, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of the father? So now they're going to be clear. They're going to say, they say the first one. The one that said, I'm not going to do it, and then went and did it, is the one that did the Father's will. So, And they got that. So Jesus says to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Basically, all these sinners told God, we're not going to do what you command. We're going to live by ourselves, our own law. And then when John the Baptist came, they repented and they went and they did what God wanted. Where the Pharisees said from the beginning, we uphold God's law. I fast twice a week. And I tithe everything. But then they didn't really draw near to God. They robbed people and did all kinds of nonsense. So Jesus is calling them out. All these sinners and all these wicked people that you judge all day long in their hearts are depending on God for salvation. And you're looking at God like he owes you. Yikes. Then he gives this other parable. And I'm going to do this one real quick. Basically, there's a landowner and he puts people in charge and they steal from him. And he sends servants and they kill his servants. And they send the landowner, sends the vineyard owner, sends his own son to be the boss. And they kill the son thinking that then they'll take over the vineyard. And Jesus asks them, what's going to happen to those people? What's the vineyard owner going to do? And the Pharisees say, He's going to put those wretches to a miserable death and give the vineyard to other tenants who will give them their fruit. They understand this stuff. They're getting it. But they refuse to get it. They refuse to understand it. See, God put these guys in charge of the law, in charge of being priests before God and before man. And they shut the way for people. They made it so hard for people to draw near to God. Well, if you want to draw near to God, you got to do this. You got to do this. You got to do this. God made all kinds of provisions for poor people in Leviticus. Like if you can't afford um, a bull, you can make a sacrifice with two doves. You always give money to the poor so that they they there won't be any poor in the land among you. Give them if nobody had too much and nobody had too little. And these guys didn't play that at all. And so God sent prophets. They didn't listen to the prophets. Now he's sending his son and they're not listening to him. 
So Jesus says in verse 43, Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. So he's talking about this precious cornerstone that Isaiah talks about and prophets talk about in a couple different places. If you're a part of the building, then you will be built up in it and strong. But if you refuse to be a part of it, you're going to get crushed. And Jesus is referring to himself as that true cornerstone, as that true and right and good and perfect foundation to be built on. And so if they would draw to him, if they would listen to him, if we would draw near to Jesus and get away from any display, any display of our religion, we, we, can't, just, we can't trust in how religious we look for our salvation. God knows our hearts. God knows heart and soul um, if we're evil or wicked or if we're harboring hatred. And all of those things he wants to take away from us. He died on the cross for our sins. He has cleansed us completely. And he wants us to live that out and live it before him. It doesn't matter what kind of leaves we put out for a show. It, it doesn't matter uh, what kind of pride we, we take pride in that we're going to be first in line in the kingdom of heaven, tax collectors and sinners are going to be getting in ahead. People that are contrite, that are broken down. Uh, says in Romans, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's true. That's true. So we need to really call on his name. Um, not hold on to all the show. I mean, these guys had all the show of religion. But, but they were empty on the inside. So at the end, it says, When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. The crowds held him to be a prophet. And the Pharisees were just too good to admit that he could be a prophet. So pretty creepy. If you, if you read this, it's really... Um, it's really humbling to read through the scriptures and to not read yourself automatically as one of the disciples. Uh, definitely don't read yourself as Jesus, but to really, in humility, think, could I be a Pharisee? Could I be one of these people that um, thinks that I'm going to get into heaven, thinks that my religion is all about this, this, and this, and I don't draw near to Jesus? And I'm not listening to Jesus. It's, it's an easy thing to do. And so let's, let's use all this to draw near to Jesus. He, he has the words of eternal life. He is so beyond, um, beyond what, what our, our interpretation of the scriptures could ever be on our own. That's why we need other people to talk about the scriptures with and to grow together. And always be, be open to learn more about Jesus and um, to figure out, you know, if this thing's cultural and it's part of my culture, it's not that it's bad, but don't let it get in the way of Jesus, right? Make him the goal. All right. God bless you. Thanks.